Hello, and welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans, and hosting with me today is Virginia Allen. Welcome, Virginia. Lauren, it is a great day, and it's going to be a great episode. I'm so excited to be here with you. I'm glad that you made it back safely from the long weekend. (laughs) You were skiing for the first time, right? Correct. And I am from Florida, for those who don't know, so the snow is a very new thing to me. And it was actually really fun. And you only fell once? Only fell once. And I was in my head, I was like, oh my gosh, I am falling off this cliff. (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) die. I'm going to die. I fell. I fell on my butt. And I looked over and there was no cliff. Like (laughs) I would have been fine, but it was really fun. And Virginia, what did you do this weekend? Yeah. So I was on a church retreat up in the mountains of Virginia. It was really, really lovely. It snowed on Saturday morning. So spent uh, spent three days with a lot of good people, eating a lot of good food, playing games, going on hikes. It was a great time. That sounds just so cozy. It really was. It was very, very restful. <laughs> you know what doesn't sound cozy? Staying in D.C. and going to the Women's March last weekend. Yeah, not so much. If, if you uh, look on any social media platform or the news and Google Women's March or hashtag Women's March, it's pretty prickly what comes up. (laughs) Yeah, the turnout was nowhere near where it was the first year, nowhere near even where it was last year. So we promised we'd cover it for you. We are going to talk to someone who actually went to the event a little later in the show. But Virginia, you know what March is going to be impressive? Yes, the March for Life that is happening this Friday, tomorrow. Uh, It's taking place here in Washington, D.C. This, I believe, is the 47th annual March for Life. And if you're not familiar with the march, essentially what it is, uh, it's a gathering of pro-life individuals. People come together from all across America for this. Uh, And they're, they're gathering both in remembrance of all of the lives that have been lost to abortion and those that have been affected by abortion, but also to stand together in unity and say, America, we are a pro-life nation, and it's time to see abortion end. So in honor of that, we'll be telling you everything you need to know about the upcoming March, this year's theme, and some interesting controversial news stories that kind of go side by side. And of course, we'll finish up the episode by crowning an influential problematic of the week. Here we go. So as we already mentioned, uh, this year's March for Life is happening tomorrow. It's the 47th annual March. I'm so excited to go. Lauren, have you ever been to one of these before? I've actually been to about four of them ever since I've worked for the Heritage Foundation. I've had the pleasure to go and cover them. And they're just incredible. It's uh, it's always freezing. And there's just so many young people who are just energized by this topic and and by life. And they all have all sorts of issues. You know, there's the pro-life feminists that go. A couple years ago, I did a, a mini documentary on a group called Save the One, which are Women who either had children in cases of rape or people who were products of cases of rape themselves. And they go to show like, hey, we're not exceptions. We're we're here. And it's just so great to see so many people coming together and marching. It's electric. Well, and this year's theme is a powerful one and addresses the abortion movement's claims. The theme is life empowers pro-life is pro-woman. I, I love, love that. that. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> the pro-abortion movement has tried to take over feminism and claims that pro-choice is pro-women and that the ability to choose is what marks women's equality and empowerment. With 2020 being the 100th anniversary of women gaining the right to vote, the march is going back in time and reflecting on this very special anniversary. The original feminists who fought for this right to vote – 
like Susan B. Anthony and Alice Paul, were pro-life. Alice Paul once said abortion is the ultimate exploitation of women. So this year, the march is reclaiming feminism and its true roots. So, Lauren, what do you think about this year's theme? I absolutely love it. I think it's so important. It's the reason why we do this show every week to show women that being pro-life is being pro-woman, that standing up for the most vulnerable in our society is the most empowering thing that you can do. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, this is something that we've talked about before. Uh, Just a month ago when we did our live podcast recording at Turning Point USA, we talked about this, how, you know, the roots of feminism are pro-life and that this topic of abortion was something that literally split um, that early feminist movement in two. Uh, it's, it was very, very controversial and it's in no way a given, um, you know, originally that abortion would be a part of kind of the platform of the feminist movement. Yes, yeah, Sue Ellen Browder, she's speaking at both the pre-event with March for Life and also the Students for Life event. She wrote a book called Subverted, How the Sexual Revolution Hijacked the Feminist Movement. And that's exactly what happened. There was a small group of women who were convinced by a man to totally change what it means to be, quote unquote, pro-woman. And we've seen negative repercussions of this ever since, how the sexual revolution has really harmed women more than it's helped women. And to stand up and say, like, yes, we believe that women have equal rights and women deserve to be treated correctly in in the workforce and they should never be sexually exploited in any way. But to cram that in with being pro-choice, it just seems like we're trying to divide women and we're trying to really focus on on negative things for for the pleasure of a few while we're really just harming the psyches of, of women. Yeah, I mean, I think that is one of the most interesting things when you actually go back and research the beginning of the women's movement. You stumble across this man named Larry Later, and you find out that he was so strategic and influential in really getting feminists to accept abortion as part of their platform. So really interesting topic. Definitely encourage our listeners to dive more into that. Lauren, why do you think that the media really doesn't cover the March for Life? Because it doesn't fit their narrative. The mainstream media wants to promote that every woman is this pink hat wearing pro-choice person. And it makes their job more difficult when you show a bunch of young, excited folks marching in Washington, D.C. for being pro-life. This isn't just a couple hundred people. This isn't, you know, a couple churches busing high school kids. This is hundreds of thousands of people attending the march. And I, I read in the Washington Post, even they admit that over half are under the age of 30. This is a large movement, but sometimes when it doesn't fit into exactly what they want to say and they want to portray, instead of, you know, trying to do the mental gymnastics, they just ignore it. Yeah, no, I think it's it's a really sad commentary on where so much of the mainstream media is today. Like you said, if it doesn't fit their narrative, they're just simply going to ignore it or they're going to totally repackage it in a way that sells the goods that they want to be sold. And that's why news organizations like The Daily Signal are so important, because we'll be out there. We are going to follow a group of students from West Virginia from the time they get on the bus at 430 in the morning until they leave at night. Uh, showing who they are. And then uh, we're also going to go out and get some man on the street interviews. Uh, I'm sure reporters will go out and really talk to these folks and report the truth on what's happening. So really recommend Friday you 
keep refreshing dailysignal.com and get all that sweet, sweet March for Life content. Yeah, so excited. It's going to be great. All right. So our next topic is similar, but just so tragic. I recently came across a Teen Vogue, and remember I just said Teen Vogue article, titled 39 Abortion Stories Show Just How Important Abortion Access Is. This article included a variety of short stories from women who primarily were all very happy with their choice to get an abortion and mostly unaffected by the whole process. The article shared stories from women of a variety of ages, some as young as 15, and shockingly many women who had multiple abortions, one woman citing having four. These stories were aimed at normalizing abortion and making it seem like no big deal. Many of them started with, quote, I found out I was pregnant and instantly knew I had to have an abortion. Overall, it was a very disturbing read. Virginia, what do you think? I mean, this article is just so heart-wrenching to read. But then when you add the fact that it was in Teen Vogue, I mean, when you're 16, you're you're kind of in the cusp between being a woman and a child. And how do you even process that? Yeah, no, it really is tragic, Lauren. And it's strategic. It simply is incredibly strategic on the part of the pro-choice movement on the part of Planned Parenthood and those that are very much in favor of abortion. You know, if you can get it in a young person's head from a very young age that abortion is normal, that it's acceptable, that it uh, is my right as a woman, then it's much, much harder, you know, when that person is in college and becomes an adult to kind of break down those years and years and years of reading about and constantly hearing, no, this is just normal. And I think of things in my own life that, you know, having to kind of question now as an adult and like, oh, like I know I heard this as a child, but is that correct? And, you know, there's there's a much, much longer road to breaking down those misconceptions. So, yeah, it it is just incredibly and pointedly strategic to start targeting teens and tweens at a very young age with the message that abortion is your right and it is acceptable. And it's a cool article with cool graphics and there's photos of celebrities on the side. Uh, And I just want to read a, a little excerpt. So it starts on January 2nd. 39 GOP senators signed an amicus brief urging the Supreme Court to reconsider Roe versus Wade. Then it continues later. For each of these 39 senators, most of whom are cis men, (laughs) who will never know what it's like to be pregnant when you do not want to be. I wanted to talk to 39 people who do know that feeling. And after that, it goes into these stories. And I mean, they're just heartbreaking from like women who are just really young. they, They don't understand. They actually found even more than 39 stories. They collected 60 all across the country from women as young as 19, old as 73, from religious people, non-religious people, trans men, mothers, women who are currently pregnant and women who do not want children. So the article went on and just really tried to normalize abortion and make it seem like it was just no big deal. But this isn't the only content that Teen Vogue has published that is trying to normalize it and making abortion seem like this mundane thing. Back in June... They published an article titled, quote, how did it get an abortion if you're a teen, which laid out exactly what the article title suggested. And I want to read a quote from that as well. And it's kind of like a question and answer article. And it says, question, I'm 16. I'm pregnant and I don't want to be. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to get an abortion without my parents' permission, but I'm really scared to tell them because both of them are against abortion. What should I do? The article goes on to read. Quote, it's only logical that if teens are mature enough to become parents, they are mature enough to decide whether or not they want to give birth. 
having access to abortion should be your right, regardless of your parents' beliefs. And then it continues. All that said, you know your parents best. Do you fear for your safety if you reveal your pregnancy? Are you worried they might meet you with violence or kick you out of the house? If yes, there is a legal option in 36 states that would allow you to get an abortion without parental approval called judicial bypass procedure. So in this article, they are telling a 16-year-old girl to get an abortion, no matter what her parents says, that it's completely normal. And not once do they suggest adoption. Not once do they suggest talking to your parents about keeping it. It's like, oh, no, you get an abortion and that's normal. And it's really sad because the author in it cites that she was 15 and and she had to take plan B and, and she was scared to tell her mom, which, I mean, it's sad. And But the fact that they tell you don't care what your parents say and go through the courts before saying adoption is just crazy. It's incredibly tragic. And I mean, essentially what you're telling a young person is it's better to lie to those that you love. It's better to risk harming potentially forever those relationships and take the life of your child ultimately. And I just think, gosh, for the young people that you know are, are making these decisions before their brains are even fully developed, they're not thinking down the road to one year from now, five years from now, 20 years from now, they're going to have to live with that decision for the rest of their lives and the consequences of that decision, um, potentially the consequences of, of broken trust from not telling parents and parents have a way of eventually finding these things out. Um, so it it's one thing, I think, you know, if you're like talking with your friend in high school and they're like, ah, just don't tell your parents. Like we kind of expect that from other, you know, teens, but for, for a, a large organization company like Teen Vogue to be telling you specifically to go behind your parents back, this is the kind of content that we're essentially telling young people they should be consuming and putting out there for them to consume. Just really, really messed up. I want to read one more excerpt. This is from an article called Transgender People on What They Wish They'd Learned in Sex Ed, which suggested, quote, one of the easiest ways for sex ed curriculums to be more inclusive is to drop the outdated language of female body parts versus male body parts and teach everyone about the human body together while acknowledging the vast array of intersex people whose anatomy may not fit into the simple standard boxes of male and female, said University of Michigan student Elijah Haswell. Quote, my uterus is not a female body part. It is just that, a uterus. Again, this is teen vogue. This is aimed towards young people. Like, this is brainwashing. It is. It's 100% brainwashing. And it just blows your mind a little bit. I mean, you think back to 50 years ago, if someone had had read this, they would have laughed. I mean, they would have thought, my gosh, like we all know that a uterus belongs to a woman. That's not that controversial. Like, wow, we have come a long way in the wrong direction. So I think the lesson is, if you're a mom and and you have children, make sure that you're watching what they read. Teen Vogue stories come up all the time on my Snapchat. You never know when this content might be in there. And if you're not a parent, just be cognizant of what information you're getting and where you're getting it from, because the left really just wants to normalize this and make it seem like it's no big deal. And it's, it's easy kind of to slip into what you're thinking. And it's not only just publications, it's also on award shows. A couple weeks ago, actress Michelle Williams won an award for Best Actress in a Limited Series. During her speech, she got political and credited her success to her ability to have an abortion. Quote, I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose. And she didn't even stop there. She ended her speech by asking women to vote in their own self-interest. 
what about the interest of her unborn child? Shouldn't we be thinking about them in the greater good of society? And it just continues to add to this narrative that you can't be successful if you're a mom or you can't be successful without this right to kill an infant. Yeah, Lauren, you know, I loved what Jeannie Mancini, the president of March for Life, had to say when we spoke with her on last week's episode, because I asked her about this and, you know, kind of these narratives that we hear from people like Michelle Williams. And she said, you know, at the end of the day, no matter how much we reframe abortion no matter you know how good and, and beautiful we make it sound, it still takes the life of a child. To say what Michelle Williams said in a less nice chocolate-coated way, so to speak, I won this golden glow because I was able to kill my baby. And obviously that's like, whoa, that's a little extreme. But if you truly believe that life begins at conception, that is the reality. Amen. Retweet. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we have some more really great pro-life stories to tell you. You know, it is so easy to get overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle. So if you find yourself overwhelmed, like I often am, and looking for a way to keep up with all the news that matters, the Daily Signal podcast brings you the news of the day every morning. I co-host the Monday edition with my colleague Rob Bluey to bring you interviews with lawmakers, authors, and conservative activists. And of course, we start your week off right with a good news story. So if you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast available every weekday morning. All right, welcome back. Now let's jump into a little bit more positive news on the pro-life front. Let's talk about one of the many influential politicians who is making great strides in the fight for life. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds has big plans for 2020. She has been pushing state lawmakers to pass a constitutional amendment that clarifies how nobody has a right to abortion in Iowa. The governor wants to make life better for Iowans at all stages of life in 2020 and was quoted saying, and when I say all stages of life, I mean to include the unborn. We must protect life by making clear through an amendment that our Constitution does not grant a right to abortion. It's time, and unfortunately, it's necessary. Reynolds is also working to improve maternal health care that will better benefit mothers and their babies, as well as connecting mothers that have high-risk pregnancies with the state's top doctors. The Iowa governor has had great success in the past in terms of pro-life legislation and seems confident in her 2020 plans. So, Lauren, what effect do you see a law like this having? Well, number one, I hope it saves lives. But I love that this is being done by a woman. I love that she is thinking of this holistically and she's including maternal health care and making sure that we're taking care of the women who are choosing life. I love that it's a start. It's a way that other states can follow in Iowa's footsteps and and stand up. I'll quote her for saying, and when I say all stages of life, I mean to include the unborn. Yeah, I love that this is being tackled at a state level, because obviously, as pro-lifers, you know, we would love to see these kind of movements happening on a national level. But it really does, I think, begin more at that state and local level that as we see more and more states choose pro-life legislation and choose to say we are a pro-life state, eventually, I pray, as a nation, we will be 50 states that are pro-life. 
It was so hard this week, Virginia, because she would make such a great problematic woman of the week. And I think we we talked about and we debated whether or not to make her problematic woman of the week. But she really just embodies what we look to on the show of standing up for what you believe in and taking a stand and pushing forward, even when sometimes that's difficult. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, Lauren, she she's done so much for the pro-life cause. In 2019, she passed a budget defunding Planned Parenthood by two hundred and sixty thousand dollars. And in 2018, she signed a heartbeat law that banned abortion after a heartbeat is detected. That's at about six weeks. So she she really is a, a champion for life. Uh, and we will call her our our honorary <laughs> problematic woman of the week. Go, Governor Reynolds. <laughs> All right, we are going to take a quick break, but in just a moment, we're going to be joined by Rachel Suma. She is an intern here at the Heritage Foundation, and she attended the Women's March this past weekend. So we're going to talk with her a little bit about what she saw, what she heard, if she would go back again. <laughs> <laughs> so we're excited. Stay tuned. What the heck is trickle-down economics? Does the military really need a space force? What is the meaning of American exceptionalism? I'm Michelle Cordero. I'm Tim Desher. And every week on the Heritage Explains podcast, we break down a hot-button policy issue in the news at a 101 level. Through an entertaining mix of personal stories, media clips, music, and interviews, we help you actually understand the issues. So do this. Subscribe to Heritage Explains on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts today. We are joined by Rachel Suma, an intern here at the Heritage Foundation. Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I've never done a podcast before. This is really exciting (laughs) to me. It's a great day. It's a big day. So this past weekend, you attended the Women's March. Had you ever been before? No, I had managed to kind of stay away from that. The first Women's March, I was actually in college and I went to school at this tiny liberal arts college in rural Georgia. So there wasn't really a women's march there. People would travel to Atlanta to go to their women's march. So I never attended. I thought it's interesting now to be in a bigger city where there's a lot more going on, a lot more opinions. So I thought, why not see what it's about? Yeah, absolutely. So when you decided that you were going to go, what were you expecting to see? So just to give some background, I wasn't going as someone marching with the women's march. I actually reached out to Students for Life and said, hey, I was involved with Students for Life in college. Just out of curiosity, are you doing anything to demonstrate? And they responded very quickly and they said, yes, we are doing a demonstration. So I met up with them. There were about 20 of us there. It was both students and staff and people who had been involved with Students for Life. Initially, I thought we were just going to stand on the sidelines like I've seen at any other like march that I've ever been a part of or just see myself. So that's kind of what I was expecting. I also thought it was going to be a lot crazier than it turned out to be just because I read about it on the news. But it turned out to be a little bit not as insane as I thought it would be. So tell me a little bit about that. I mean, what was the atmosphere like? Was it, you know, positive, exciting? Did it feel more angry? Yeah, I thought it was definitely more angry just because, again, it's always been rooted in this patriarchy and this hatred of Trump. So there were definitely a lot of vulgar signs, as I'd seen in years past, just on the news and everything. Yeah, I would say kind of reminded me of Brave New World, the way they describe the people who live there. Obviously, it wasn't massive anarchy like sometimes we want to think it is, but it was still had that theme to it, if that makes sense. So you went as a protester, <laughs> essentially. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> you don't need to call me that. I'm not okay. that old. <laughs> 
Um, so being there, holding your own signs and being very, very clearly not part of the Women's March, what was people's response to you who were there to march with the Women's March? Yeah, so I thought we would just kind of stand on the sidelines, but the Students for Life staff actually came up with the idea. They said, hey, we're going to walk in front of them so that when news reporters are like preparing for the Women's March to come in, they kind of see our Students for Life signs and everything. So, of course, people who were on the sides had seen us kind of waiting for the march to come by. And some of them like blew whistles and were kind of saying, oh, my body, my choice. And then the Students for Life staff were filming it and one lady shouted, Black Women Lives Matter. And the um, Northeast Regional Coordinator, who was doing most of the um, interviews because she was going around asking women questions during the rally beforehand, she was like, oh, yes, they do. Just kind of show that, you know, we care for all people here. Um, and that includes unborn women. Um, and then once we got to the side, of course, people started shouting out like, oh, it's my body, my choice. I think what was interesting is when I was looking at social media, because Students for Life did post about it on their social media. Some people were commenting, oh, yeah, you really hurt our feelings. Like, we weren't that intimidated by you. But I think the fact that they noticed is enough to just say at least we were a witness it wasn't just like they didn't see us at all. Yeah. And how many people were actually there to attend the march? I'm guessing around four to 5,000. Okay. Yeah. Now, I kind of, I did some research myself and I saw the same thing that yeah. it's very hard to find anyone actually giving an actual number. But everyone was just kind of like, it was less than last year. Yeah. Yeah. A smaller crowd, but just as enthusiastic. So maybe in the next couple of weeks, someone will actually come up with some hard data on that. Yeah. Now, you mentioned signs, that a lot of people had made signs, and you kind of see that a lot in the headlines for various articles. What was your impression? Were there any signs that really stuck out to you? Were there signs about Trump? They weren't signs. They were balloons that were, like, of Trump, um, just like his orange body in underwear. I just thought that was really weird. They had major banners, and a lot of signs related to how it's my body and it's my choice. Um I hope that gives you enough detail. Yeah, no, for sure. Yes. If you haven't been there, it's like, okay, what was it actually like? Because I think yeah. news media gives us one picture, but sometimes yeah. it's it's quite different in reality. So, Rachel, the Women's March so much emphasizes the fact that they represent feminism, that they represent all women. But actually being there firsthand and seeing the marchers, did you get that impression that you know their platform and what they are standing up for is really representative of women across America? I really don't. I think they were definitely catered towards women with certain beliefs, you know, they've gotten under fire, especially the first year when they excluded feminists for life. I know recently it's been reported that more women than men are pro-life. So that entire sect of women have been excluded. Also, they tend to gear towards women who were involved in things like the sex industry. And I think any people men and women who stand against things that they stand for, they tend to exclude and say that they're infringing on their rights. But as a woman, too, the fact that it's supposed to represent women, but it doesn't represent my needs as a woman who is against abortion, um, I did not think that it represented all women. And I think it gave the wrong kind of message. Yeah. So as a young woman, as a recent college graduate, what would be some of the things that you would like to see the Women's March 
kind of embrace in their platform in the future? I mean, what are those topics that you think they should really be focused on? I mean, this year, you know, they were talking about immigration and climate change and so much of the rhetoric that you saw from the march was really anti-Trump and very, very pro-impeaching Trump. But uh, what what do you feel like are those areas where you're seeing a need, where there needs to be conversations happening, uh, where we're talking about real women's issues that are pressing? Yeah. So I think as a young woman, I'm single right now, but I could see myself getting married one day. But I also don't know what my career is going to look like. And I would like to see more call for corporations or companies to just become more pro-family and to be more accommodating to women who have just had children and just kind of be more flexible with them. I think that's something that needs to be talked about more, especially because, you know, the pro-choice agenda, the whole like this empowers women It's basically saying you can't have a child and you can't persevere in your career. And the pro-life movement is saying, yes, you can, and we're going to help you. And I think it's important that we live out that help we have for women. I remember one time after that Alabama law passed, there was someone who tweeted like, oh, all you pro-lifers, how do you actually help single mothers? And all these pro-life people responded with how they help single mothers. And one of them was professor. He said, I always... And flexible with the student, the single mothers in my class. There are more businesses who are letting mothers bring their babies to work and being flexible with their maternity leave and letting them work from home. So I think I would like to see the issue of just kind of helping women persevere with their children. I think that is a topic that needs to be embraced more. And I think that is more pro-life. And I think if we're going to be pro-life, I think that is something we definitely need to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Now, there's another march happening yeah. in Washington, D.C. this weekend, and that's the March for Life. Are you planning on attending? Yes, I'm attending with the Young Leaders Program. I'm very excited that they're letting us go. So <laughs> yeah, I'm going. Oh, that's great. So you'll be there pretty much all day on Friday. What are you looking forward to about the March for Life? Well, I've never been before. I was supposed to go three years ago, but because of the snow, we were like, that's not a very safe drive to do. So I'm very excited to see it for the first time and definitely excited to see people across, like, class spectrums, both men and women coming together for this one purpose. And I think one of the differences between the March for Life and the Women's March is the goal of the March for Life is definitely a lot more clear. And you can see that unity among people whenever I watch videos of the March for Life. I think it'll be interesting to see the people who demonstrate against it, but I don't have doubt that the March for Life will overpower whoever demonstrates against it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm certainly excited to go and Mm -hmm. uh, to see the crowd and the speakers. It it is always just a really, really, really powerful event. So we will be sure to keep you all updated on all the details of that and give uh, great highlights next week. But Rachel, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. All right. It is now time for the best part of the show, crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. And we intended for this to be a all pro-life episode because it's just such an important topic. But when this story broke, we just knew that we had to talk about it. We had to proclaim her Problematic Woman of the Week. This is a conservative woman who made a very interesting New York Times headline last week. The opinion piece was titled, The View Has a Meghan McCain Problem. And for I mean, problem was actually in the title. So, <laughs> so we are crowning Meghan McCain as our problematic woman of the week for her continuous defense of conservative views on television and her willingness to stand up for herself, 
even in really tough situations with really important people while they're yelling at her while it's really just not popular or not good for her career. Yeah, I applaud Megan McCain. Uh, there is no way I could do what she does. I mean, every day she sits around a table with people that hold to very, very different views and opinions than she does. But it's so important, I think, and uh, critical as a society that we're willing to have disagreement and that we're, we're willing to show the public, okay, we can still engage in discourse in a way that it's somewhat civil, <laughs> hopefully most of the time, and and that it's okay to have differences of opinions and that people's voices and opinions who do differ need to be heard and represented. The article itself lacked really any substance. At one point, it attacked her for just being the daughter of late Senator McCain and just really for being a conservative. I mean, most of the stuff I read, I was like, this isn't an attack. This is just <laughs> stating, so yeah, yeah. stating facts. Yeah. No, I thought it was really bizarre because essentially what it sounded like the author was saying is, isn't it a shame everyone sitting around that table isn't just saying the exact same thing? I was like, well, that sounds kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> one of uh, one of the quotes from the article that I just found really interesting, I'm going to read um, a little bit before the part that I want to talk about just to give you t- context. He wrote, when she appeared on the late night talk show, watch what happens live in September. She informed the host, Andy Cohen, that every day she assumed she could get fired because of the tone of where we are culturally. It's a deflecting refrain that has been employed by stand-up comedians and political commentators alike. And anyone bemoaning the rise of so-called cancel culture when facing pushback for harmful rhetoric. So that last line for harmful rhetoric, he's saying that Megan's McCain rhetoric is harmful, (laughs) which I find pretty humorous because explain to me how her rhetoric is harmful. It disagrees with your far left progressive views. And so all of a sudden now it's automatically harmful. She's a mainstream conservative thinker. She's not even kind of a crazy Right wing person. She's maybe slightly right of center. And what this article is trying to do is the idea of the Overton window. What is acceptable in society? It's trying to push the Overton window leftward. So people like Meghan McCain are outside of that acceptable window. And so that's why it's important for us to stand up for Meghan McCain. And I'm glad Republican Congresswoman Kathy McMorris did in a tweet. She said at Meghan McCain is not a problem. It is also not a problem that women have diverse opinions, talents and strengths. That's something to celebrate, not silence. Hashtag problematic women. I love that she used the hashtag problematic women. So, Megan, keep up what you're doing in defending conservative women everywhere, and most importantly, stay problematic. And that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Even though we may be problems, conservatives do need your support in the podcast world. And we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, SoundClouds, Overcast, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast. It really does make a difference. Have a great rest of your week. And we'll see you at the March for Life. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Kelsey Bowler, Lauren Evans, and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.